1: Spider-Sense tells me I'm in for some trouble. Spider-Sense Spider-Sense is tingling. Spider-Sense is tingling. Something is turning my Spider-Sense on. My
0: Spider-Sense is tingling. Anybody else's Spider-Sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Derek.
1: And I'm Doug. And
0: is your Spider-Sense tingling. Treachery! Nailed it. To listen to this <laughs> show, find us on foridradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. We're continuing with Spectacular Spider-Man, you guys, on a very good episode that I like a lot. Yeah. If you want to watch along with us, and you should, because this is another one of those episodes that have just... Beautiful animation and fight sequences and everything. It's so nice to look at and watch. Uh, it's available on DVD. Uh, you can find it on Blu-rays sometimes for 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 a high price probably, but it is also for purchase on most digital platforms. So definitely available. Definitely should watch it if nothing else for this episode because I really like this episode
1: a lot. So good. So much fun. Really a beautiful, beautiful way to cap off this arc. It so is.
0: And, you know. It's this. This is weird to say, like sixty-eight episodes into our podcast, but like I'm really glad that we're doing this podcast, if nothing else, because it gave me a newfound appreciation for this episode. Because I don't think I really, oh. I don't think I really gave it its due when I watched it originally, because I watched the second season like all you know back to back like i didn't watch it week to week because it was oh, that's that week, right you kind of right? like
1: binged it before that was a regular habit of people
0: right because it had all already aired internationally and i was seeing spoilers and it, who knew when it was going to air in the u.s so i found it on youtube and just watched all of them um so the thing is like after this episode is the last arc of the entire show and like even though I didn't know the show was canceled at that point, it is the final arc of the season. So like, it's good. That's not a spoiler to say a lot of stuff happens in it. So like, I think it was really easy to like, almost forget about this episode because like, then you're in the last arc of the season. So it's like, okay, so that's all I'm thinking about now. And I remember recognizing this episode was good when I watched it, but I don't think I realized just like how masterfully it was done. And then I'm watching this now and I'm like, this is so fucking good. Like, this is just so beautiful and so well done.
1: This is one of the best episodes of the series that we've watched.
0: I fully agree.
1: Okay, good. I was gonna say, like, I will go to bat for this episode. Yeah. I think it's it is incredible.
0: <laughs> it's it's so impeccably done. It's it's wonderfully done, and it's and it's so and it's unexpected it's so unexpected. You know? Yeah. It just does everything right that this show's done. It looks gorgeous. It's like every character is like fun. (laughs) Then there's so many just wild dynamics that you wouldn't expect. It's so, it's like chaotic, but in the best way. It's like, it's like it's funny because we just got Accomplices a couple of episodes ago that is also like a really chaotic one that has super fun fight sequences mm-hmm. and then this one sort of does a, has a similar vibe in how chaotic it is but in such a vastly different way like the aesthetic is totally different the pace is totally different the way that they execute it is totally different the dynamics are different like it's funny that they're sort of like it's not like they just have the one chaos episode of the season it's like they're like no we're going to have multiple ones where just shit hits the fan and it's just wild. And we're not only going to do it, like top ourselves with even better fight sequences than we've had before when they've already been really, really top notch, but we're also going to like score it with opera and like do some <laughs> of it with no dialogue. Like it's like, what? Uh, How? How?
1: Yeah. This show's so good. <laughs> this is a, it, it's such a good Mirror to two episodes ago. Like you said, that one was chaotic in a particular way. That was like chaotic in a. Like, I think I described it as just like a a fucking roller coaster or like a rip roaring ride of an episode or something like that. That one just sort of like whips you along, right? And you're sort of like. As you're going, you're like, I don't even know if I'm entirely sure why the things that are happening are happening exactly as they are. Because it's like an establishing episode. This one has some of that same energy, but instead you know exactly why everything's happening. So it's like this cool sort of balancing out of that original chaos. Where it's like a more ordered or at least like more organized chaos in a way. And it, it allows you to more, sort of, like, sit back and just, like, watch everything unfolding in its beautiful chaotic glory, whereas in that first one, you were sort of whipped around with it, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah. And this one, and I think unlike that episode, which didn't really have a lot of high school stuff, like this one still delivers on some pretty big, like teen drama things too at the same it time. Does. Like, they, it does. Like they juggle everything perfectly. It's so good. This episode rules. <laughs>
1: yes. It is awesome. It yes. is awesome.
0: The episode in question, by the way, uh, <laughs> this is the Spectacular Spider Man season two, episode 10 of 13. It's almost over. Mm. The episode's entitled Gangland. The synopsis for IMDB looks really long, so I can't believe I have tasked myself with reading this, but <laughs> on Valentine's Day, the youth has gathered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the youth has gathered.
0: <laughs> the youth has gathered for a glamorous dinner in LC's dad's restaurant. Excuse
1: me? LC? LC Who the hell is L C Dad's
0: Restaurant. I mean,
1: I know who they're saying it is, but th- their last name does not begin with a C. Okay. Um, yep. <laughs> anyway, the New York crime
0: high life gathers in the Metropolitan Opera. It's unclear who invited the others, but achieves his (in parentheses) Mammerhead's plan.
1: <laughs> That's nonsense and not correct.
0: They start fighting each other. Peter must leave the table of fun. Oh God. Oh God. Oh my God. This is so good. Peter must leave the table of fun, kicking flash each time he puts his jock foot in his dumb mouth to cover breaking news an excuse Jonah craves just to leave.
1: My jaw dropped. (laughs) It literally dropped.
0: As Spider-Man, Pete tries to stop the fighting fiends from demolishing the Met.
1: All right, this person was just having fun. I feel like they wrote all of these descriptions in one night drinking a bottle of wine and they're quickly approaching the end of the season.
0: It's funny because I could sort of see I can sort of see where like the the artistic idea to weave the events into one another, like the way that they just that long sentence where they describe Peter like kicking they're trying to like intersect Peter having to leave with his whole dynamic with Flash, sure. with a thing that Jonah wants, like there's a writer deep down inside of this person <laughs> that's like clawing to get out. <laughs> I hope this is like the practice they needed.
1: And I hope like, so. They're
0: beautiful now and like publishing books.
1: I hope so because they need to be publishing books or short stories. They need to not be writing synopses because kicking Flash at the table is a hundred percent not something. That needs to go in a blurb for an episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh boy. That might be the best one yet.
0: I think that was that was so, so unexpected. I didn't even glance at that one beforehand. So that was totally cold. Wow. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. International air date for this episode was March 15th, 2009, and then didn't air in the U.S. until all the way until October 21st, 2009. It was written by Andrew Robinson and directed by Jennifer Coyle, both of whom we have talked about multiple times.
1: Did Jennifer Coyle also direct Accomplices?
0: Oh, I think she... Oh, let me me double check. Let me double check. Because if that's the
1: case, her her work on these very, like, fight-choreo-heavy episodes is really something to be marveled at. She directed
0: Identity Crisis, but... No, she did not direct accomplices. So oh, she, okay. I she was going to say, yeah.
1: damn, what a freaking resume if she did both of those two. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. I remember she also directed Reaction with Doc Ock, and then I think she directed Sheer Strength, too. So she always seems to direct, like, the big Doc Ock episodes.
1: Ugh. So, a Woman After My Own Heart.
0: Yeah. I mean, she does a good job. So,
1: <laughs> I mean, they, I, I, uh, I also think it's worth noting that, like, the storyboard artists are probably consistent, and so there are probably just some really incredible sort of visionaries in that regard as far as plotting out and sort of- envisioning some of this choreography so definitely uh, yeah. massive credit to that that team too
0: yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
1: A character that we have named and i and seen very briefly, I think, but haven't talked about is silvio manfredi a k a silvermane. And he's voiced by Miguel Ferrer, who I recognized but wouldn't have been able to tell you exactly why. But I I get now why I recognize him because he's been in over a hundred episodes each of NCIS Los Angeles and Crossing Jordan as Owen Granger and Doctor Garrett Macy respectively, as well as playing Agent Rosenfield in both incarnations of Twin Peaks, which isn't really an accurate way of saying that because they're connected. But uh, basically, just to say that he was in both. Both versions of or or iterations of of Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. He also voices the Stretch Monster on Stretch Armstrong and the Flex Fighters. No surprise there. Death on Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Vandal Savage on Young Justice. And he's the Shadow Khan King on Jackie Chan Adventures, as well as plenty of other roles, both on screen and behind the mic. I and mean, nice. I think he does does a good job. He has a very particular way of of speaking as silvio <laughs> yeah which i think is characteristic of of who this guy's supposed to be
0: yeah he definitely has i mean he has less to do than anybody else in this episode which is fine i don't think it, yeah. like, it still works fine but i would have been interested to see where he would he would go further if, if silvermane like assumed yeah that he would have a bigger role in the future so
1: yeah I, I i dig it though because as small of a speaking part as as silvermane has in this episode you can tell he's still acting it Mm -hmm. Um, which makes sense because they got somebody who can act. So I appreciate them still casting a smaller speaking part, though a big part in the episode, to somebody that was appropriate for for such an impact of a part.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Other character worth mentioning just because it's fun, we meet Joan Jameson in a speaking role here, Jonah's wife, and she is voiced by Jane Lynch (laughs) of you know, Glee and Wreck-It Ralph and many, many, many other things fame.
0: Yeah. What a great choice for this. I
1: know. Really, really great. Really great.
0: It's funny because it's like uh, they uh, will meet her shortly, but it's like, you know, you can tell by casting Jane Lynch, like she's like played to be it's 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 sort of like the archetypal dynamic of just like the like kind of like harsh wife who's like got her husband by the balls or whatever but like it works with jay joda jameson because he's such a pompous like blowhard that like you want his wife to be like that because she can yeah. put him in his place yeah <laughs> no i
1: think that's what makes that dynamic fun i think when it's just like i think when it's the jane lynch character in wreck it ralph it's less fun than here where like fix it felix is such a like romantic pushover that you're like well of course she'd walk all over him in this case i think it's specifically fun because jonah in almost every other circumstance is anything but a pushover but his wife is like just one rung up higher on (laughs) the like uh commanding presence ladder (laughs) yeah
0: it's great it's great i love them i love i love and she's the perfect
1: casting for that role
0: so is. It's so it's such a it's such a great <laughs> idea. I'm so glad they got her for this.
1: Yeah, really, really lovely.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, with that, uh, I think we can dive in. Yes, please. So this episode opens with Spider-Man seemingly having stopped some sort of burglary or confrontation or gang fight or something. We don't see that part, we just see the aftermath of it at a flower shop involving members of both Silvermains and Tombstone's crews. We know this because they are webbed up together, uh, fighting over whose territory the flower shop is, whether it is Silvermane's or Tombstone's. As Spider-Man swings away from the scene, he realizes that he forgot to get flowers for his Valentine's date with Liz, which is why he was at the flower shop in the first place. This sets the tone for (laughs) this episode Uh of High School Soap Opera uh Valentine's Day special. If it's,
0: in case it's not clear, when he like swings through Times Square, there's literally like the billboards or the screens are just like an image of a heart and an image of a wedding ring.
1: Yep. <laughs> Happy Valentine's
0: Day. <laughs> so this time the opening credits feature Flash in the in the the first slot again followed by Mary Jane and then J. Jonah Jameson.
1: Interesting choices in my my mind.
0: Jonah's fine because he has his own little subplot. Flash, I think, is fine in that he has some nice character moments. Mary Jane feels like a big mistake to me because I feel like the only reason she's there is because they were like – Oh, Mary Jane has been featured very much. Why don't we just stick her here, like, because it Liz? Why not Liz? Like, it makes perfect sense to be Liz.
1: Yeah, I would go Liz Flash Jonah, or even depending on how you really wanted to go with it or what you wanted to broadcast, Gwen Flash Jonah. Like, yeah, one of those two makes sense. I, yeah, I don't really know why Mary Jane's there, but I'm, yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, she Mary has Jane's stuff.
0: Cool. <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, it's not like she doesn't have stuff to do in this episode. Totally. I really do think it was like oh, we haven't seen her in the credits. Why not? Like, maybe they were trying to be... Like, I haven't tracked, like, how many characters are in each episode. Like, maybe everyone has a roughly even number where they've been featured or something by the end of the season. But And they were just like, oh, Slot Mary Jane here. Like, she has stuff to do. It's just, like, kind of breaks my theory. Like, that doesn't work.
1: (laughs) Not drastically, but a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, we cut to a restaurant where Peter meets Harry. There's a nice little bit where, like, Harry's looking for him, and as soon as he turns his back... Uh, Peter just like jumps down from up above and like Peter, someone could see you. Like what if Harry's back wasn't turned? He was inside. How could you tell what he was doing? I mean this
1: we've, we've mentioned it so many times. Peter's terrible at, at hiding his identity. And actually we didn't even mention last week that Peter waits until he gets to school to change into his regular clothes. (laughs) Why doesn't he land like two blocks away? I don't understand. Yeah, and just walk up.
0: Dumb child. He's a dumb child. Very dumb child. He will grow up eventually. He's just got got some learning to do. No, he won't. Because the (laughs) season ends
1: in three episodes. Oh
0: man. Oh man. Yeah, but yeah, but Harry even comments on it though. He's just like, dude, ninja much? Like, what? Where did you come from?
1: (laughs) Yep.
0: Yeah. But they're both in cute little tuxes. Harry's in a green tux, which you'd think would be kind of triggering for him, but I guess he likes the color. Yeah. <laughs> and uh they're like cute and they're waiting for Gwen. Harry notes that like Gwen's not there yet because she's getting ready with MJ. Turns out she's getting a whole little makeover from MJ. Yeah. Because when she arrives, the boys are taken aback and MJ even introduces the new Gwen Stacy in it, It's not like it's a brand new character model, but, like, she doesn't have her glasses on. Her hair is, like, kind of styled, and she looks like she got a little blowout. Looks nice. She looks, she looks really nice. She has a nice little dress and shawl. Like, it's great. I love it.
1: I really appreciate this moment, because when they first sort of, like, showed her step out of the van, and then it became obvious they were, like, panning up, I was like, this is weird. But then it immediately stops being weird, because... Mary Jane and Gwen are still in like totally appropriate like sixteen year old like date clothes. Yeah, like, that you would expect them to go out into like a dance. It's all like very cute. <laughs> it's
0: really cute, and I, oh, I love, I love like you know they see Gwen and she's like, wow, she's beautiful, and Gwen just says a little like hi when she steps out, <laughs> like she's still like totally awkward like in everything. It's great, yeah. I love it.
1: Her hair never stops moving in this scene. Mm. Did you notice
0: that? The wind is only blowing on her. Nobody else's (laughs) hair is moving. Not even MJ's.
1: Yep, (laughs) yep. So funny.
0: Yeah. So Peter's reaction to this is that Gwen looks like an angel and Gwen's like, oh, that was really nice. And, you know, I mean, I guess she is some kind of like celestial being given that her hair is always blowing for some reason. I don't know why I was put off by this so much, but like obviously Harry notices this. So then he's like, hey babe and it just felt really gross to me for some reason like he's her boyfriend so it makes sense like there's nothing wrong with it but hearing him say that just felt something about that felt really icky
1: he he like steps in though when peter says this like between the two of them oh okay kind of like grabs gwen's arm which kind of has a similar vibe to it i think it's sort of in the same category as what we talked about last episode where like i get it it's very human but it doesn't make it not feel kind of gross
0: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i don't know no it just felt i think i just i mean i just don't like harry and gwen together even if like nothing bad is really happening right now it's just like harry is just i mean i get he's i don't i don't dislike harry but like he's just kind of creepy when he's with her and might be reading a little too much
1: into it but like no we called all the red flags a long time ago
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: i mean we when he first identified that he liked Gwen, we were like, okay, this is sweet. But then once it was sort of confirmed, that's when, like, all the red flags started going off. And we were like, do you really like Gwen or are you just happy to have a girlfriend? Yeah. Those are different things.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's always in the back of my head whenever he's, like, interacting with her. Even when, like, he's ostensibly just doing, like, boyfriend stuff. It's just like, yeah. mm, this just feels, it feels like you're just performing right now. It doesn't feel like this is yeah. real. But yeah, like like you said, when P- Peter does say that Gwen looks like an angel, kind of like after this is happening, so he says she looks like an angel. It's, it's really sweet. Uh, but Liz and Mark are right in the lobby watching this happen, and Liz clearly looks a little bit sad about it.
1: Yeah, I would be too. I yeah. Peter is very dumb in this episode. Oh, he really I, is. It's it's all it's all that teen teen soap stuff, but he's really dumb in this episode, especially dumb.
0: <laughs> it's it's so baffling to me that like he doesn't when he shows up, Harry is waiting for Gwen who isn't there yet. So go inside and greet your fucking girlfriend, dude. Cool.
1: I think it is. I think it is clear by the end of the episode, though it's not specified that Liz lives in this building. I think like they own the restaurant downstairs, and I think they live in an apartment upstairs. Oh my I think god, it's all and the even- same. I think it's all the same building. I'm pretty sure that's the case.
0: I didn't even think of that, but that makes sense.
1: And if that is the case, it's Peter. I mean, Peter's an idiot, so it's not a surprise he wouldn't put these pieces together, but he should like know that Liz would be there. (laughs) She probably lives in this building (laughs) God. (laughs) because she and Mark are waiting downstairs, like just right by the elevators in the lobby.
0: Yeah. Oh, Peter, you little shithead. Oh, it makes yeah. me so mad. It makes him so He's real bad mad. in this episode. He's real bad in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's not great. This is why Liz is so insecure around Gwen, <laughs> obviously.
1: Yep. It it ends up making all the sense in the world, for sure. Yeah.
0: It really does. But the other the other little uh story that's happening in this episode is uh we follow Jonah and as he is arriving with his wife Joan to an opera house for their Valentine's Day date, and he doesn't want to be there cuz He's J. Jonah Jameson. Why would he like an opera like that? In what universe would J. Jonah Jameson be like, I'm going to go to the opera with my wife? Like, (laughs) obviously I don't
1: know. They're they're yelling a lot. They're pretty much scream singing. So it seems like his vibe, right? Sure. Yeah, that feels like that's very insulting to opera, but okay. (laughs) They're both loud, I guess is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Question. Did you, was this just me? Uh, like crossing wires, or did you also, I don't know, you'd have to get yourself in the headspace of when you first watched this. Did you also think that these were the same location at first? I think so, because, yeah, I mean, because there's nothing. I feel like it's not super clear at first. Like, I feel like you kind of have to piece it together, and even then I feel like it's still not that clear, like what the spatial relationship between these two locations is.
0: I think it's just clear enough once – once it's pointed out that they're just in a restaurant and then Jameson is at the opera. Cause I think before it's sort of like, you don't really know where the, where all the, all the, the kids are at first. And then it's just sort of like, are they in like a, like the restaurant in the opera or something? But then it's like, that's Liz's dad. What I
1: thought the entire first time I watched the episode, I fully, the first time I thought I watched this thought that the kids were in the exact same place. That Jonah was and they were just in a restaurant in the same building and it wasn't until I sort of like thought backwards about the relationship between Peter and Spider-Man that I was like wait a second they're not in the same place are they?
0: (laughs) yeah no that didn't I don't think that tripped me up really I mean it was it was once there the kids are literally in the restaurant and like Liz is like my dad owns the restaurant and like Jameson is like at a major opera I'm like okay these definitely these can't be the same place like I guess it didn't really like I wasn't really thinking about like that just I just kind of assumed that but I was but I see how you were
1: thinking about it
0: I see how you would I see how you would think that though because you know they're both designed to be like kind of hoity toity looking things so like the designs are really similar in this show because things are pretty simple and Anyway, so like it all checks out and and it's all meant to be romantic looking valentine's day stuff too so like it's similar looking locations and so much stuff is happening at the opera that like it would be a really clever kind of uh writing move to just put everyone together like that would make it all easy for everyone (laughs) to get to point a to point get from point a to point b um but but Keeping them separate means at least like the high schoolers don't have to like face all that trauma exactly. of supervillain fights on Valentine's Day, so it spares I think them that's, that.
1: That's the big benefit, <laughs> is not having to entangle literally everyone in the episode.
0: Yeah. Like literally every single character in the supporting cast, I think, appears in this episode. So like that would be hard if all of them were involved in this big battle. Mm-hmm.
1: So <laughs> yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. So inside the opera house, the three parties who have been competing for control of New York meet in some sort of private box above where the audience would sit for the opera. Tombstone is accompanied by Hammerhead. Doc Ock is accompanied by Vulture, both of which are quite dandy in their appearance to this meeting. They are men of culture and recognize that they're going to the opera. It's a lot. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And it's it's it, it is wonderful. I I think I like Doc Ox get up a little bit more stripped down once we get to it because I <laughs> it's weird because normally I'm very very pro cape, but I feel like in his case the cape is hiding what I think really works for him in the tuxedo which we've seen before. So I you know love it's a cape. Also- a but. straight up
0: dracula cape like it's got the full on collars <laughs> and like that is and know, like a whole just...
1: flower like a uh, or whatever like it's, yeah. like, it's a lot is he a wearing little... like a top hat too
0: yeah he's wearing it's... a top hat too it's, <laughs> it's great but it's a little it's like it's a little much like in terms of like if i were to dress him myself in real life
1: but like it's i think it's perfect it... for what's happening yeah. and how they have been interacting with these other groups like it's very much new folks in in this sort of dynamic, and we've seen that they have been kind of um overperforming in these circumstances, and that fits perfectly in with what they've been doing thus far. You know, like they've been demanding to be taken seriously. And I think that's the kind of peacocking that sort of like fits in with Doc Ock walking into the room with like two hot chicks under his arms to the last meeting, You know what I mean? Like it's all peacocking because I think he's the new guy. I think that's all it is. Cause he has no purpose for that. He's a logical guy. Like it's all ridiculous. It's calculated, whatever it is.
0: Yeah. And I think like the meta of it too, is that like this whole scene is kind of like a Godfather kind of reference anyway. Like, especially given the reference that they make. Yeah during the conversation like this is meant to be like a very classical mob boss thing and like that's like the dawn of the mob would be wearing a dracula cape and a top hat or a a fedora or top hat whatever he's wearing like that all that all fits
1: like makes sense so yep yeah it's hilarious anyway (laughs) fashion runway doc ock and vulture um (laughs) the third party obviously is silvio manfredi and he is joined by his daughter sable Hammerhead tells Tombstone that it was smart for Tombstone to let him tag along, and Tombstone, still wary of Hammerhead, tells him not to give him a reason to regret it. To which we see Tombstone respond with sort of a snarl under his breath. Tension rising. As their conversation starts, Manfredi almost references the Valentine's Day Massacre when he means to say this Valentine's Day Summit. And that is referencing a famous mass murder resulting from a Prohibition-era gang war in Chicago between Al Capone and, I think, was it Bugs Moran or Bugsy Moran or something like that? It was a gang war in Chicago.
0: Yeah. I think the other interesting thing about that – I didn't figure this out. I was just like kind of reading about it that someone sort of pointed out is that the end result of that massacre – like, because Al Capone ended up, like, slaughtering a bunch of rival gang leaders, right? And then yep. it was supposed to be a peaceful meeting, so it's exactly what happens here, right? Yep. Like, it's supposed to be peaceful. Breaks out into, into chaos. But, like, that was sort of, that's sort of, like, known to be the end of his, like, reputation for being, like, a philanthropist or whatever. And and it Makes brought the, f- the full force of the police down on him, which is exactly what happens to Tombstone in this episode.
1: It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> So, uh, that meeting is sort of starting with all the tension you'd expect it to to bring with it. We cut back to the restaurant where Peter, Liz, Harry, Gwen, MJ, and Mark are greeted by the rest of the high school soap opera crew in Sally, Rand, Kenny, Glory, Flash, and now Shashan. Flash, interestingly, proposes that they eat together, buddying right up to Peter, but also expected, or... More expected, Sally objects to this very loudly. Strangely, Liz sort of pleads with Sally for them to stay, kind of glancing or at least like body language indicating that she's conscious of Gwen being Mm -hmm. there. Uh, And so the second group ultimately joins and they all 12 of them smash into this half circle booth.
0: (laughs) Liz's, like, plea, like, broke my heart because it's delivered really well. Because it's, like, her it voice is, is, is almost, like, tr- really well. trembling. And it's, like, that's, this is the thing that I think probably maybe colored my my feelings on her in the last episode. Like, ha- like, having seen this and then going back and rewatching that one is, like, her insecurity is so on display here. And she's just, like, I just need a friend. And I don't feel like anybody at this table right now is my friend at this point in this yeah. situation. Totally. Yeah, and like you know, she's clearly raw from just having seen Peter hit on Gwen before he even goes in to see her. So it's like I get it. Like it all, it all checks out. Like I feel so bad for her, and and doubled by the fact that Peter is complaining, like not like kind of subtly complaining about the prices of the food, and she's just like, you don't have to pay for it. It's all free. My dad owns the restaurant, which makes like Peter being shitty to her that much worse because it's
1: like, oh, I I guess literally so. covering
0: the fucking bill.
1: Oh, I uh, yeah, I guess so. I I thought. I mean, I think that's a little awkward, only in the fact that, like, I guess it should have probably been clear from the onset that that was the case. Maybe I was blinded by the the anxiety of like having to pay for for a like a date as a high schooler. Like, I a hundred percent would have been the Peter, being like, "Oh dear God, please don't order something that's like fifty dollars." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So maybe I was blinded by that.
0: <laughs> I just think like she's just really cool about all of all of that stuff. Every like it's like I feel like it was indicative of that the fact that like she like she gets what all of Peter's insecurities are. Like she knows that like totally. she knows about the money issue, she knows about his job, she knows that he just does weird shit and like smells bad for no reason sometimes and she's like cool with it and I think that makes it even more of a stark reflection on him. The fact that he doesn't recognize any of her insecurities or like recognize when she's clearly like unhappy about anything. Like the fact that she's like pleading to her friend to stay and he doesn't even pick up on that whatsoever.
1: You know? Totally. Yeah. No, I get you. I, I, I think I misunderstood. I thought you were saying that like Peter was being shitty in that moment. No, I, like, I don't no. think he's being shitty.
0: <laughs> no, I mean being shitty in like after the, in the whole episode to her, like just not seeing her yeah. at all.
1: Yeah, no, he's fully established shitty boyfriend.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do think that Sally is a good friend to Liz, though, sometimes. I think Sally
1: like her that's her one redeeming quality. Sally's one redeeming quality, because I, I mean, I get that she had her humanizing moment last week, but I think her actual her only actual one redeeming consistent redeeming quality is that she's a very good friend to Liz.
0: Yeah, like even all of her complaining and stuff is usually from the perspective of like I don't like this for you, Liz specifically. Yeah. <laughs> like, I th- which is fair. And she's honest honestly, even though it's coming from the wrong perspective, she's not wrong. So like
1: <laughs> it's still protective. Like it's, yeah. it's all in the interest of protecting her friend Liz.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's worth noting and very cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Her context is just a little warped. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Totally. <laughs> So in the private box, back up to the private box, the group is being served food, and it's and they're being served by a familiar character in Patch, who Hammerhead recognizes and is basically like, what are you doing here, Patch? And Patch is like, I just need the money. So Hammerhead's like, fine, whatever. Just stay out of the way and don't let anyone notice you here. The other thing that happens in this in this scene is that Hammerhead is given an anonymous note by a different server and that note says "Hope you like the flowers."
0: Red Flag. Okay. <laughs> Interesting.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I would just be like, "So this is definitely like a bomb or something, right?" Like <laughs> I would be I so I love suspicious. this episode so much. Oh, That's I so love good. this
1: episode so much.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <sighs> yeah, no, I would be suspicious, but I get I think Hammerhead is incredibly smart in this episode. Oh, he totally And I is. think that is why, I mean, that's why he's not suspicious. He, he's like putting together pieces that, that shouldn't even be visible. It's yeah. great.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really good. Well, back at the restaurant, <laughs> Flash very obviously on purpose drops a fork under the table. <laughs> and <laughs> then is like, okay, Peter, come... Pick up this fork with me. And, you know, they're sitting on the table for a long time. Classic comedy bit. It's great. But he pulls Peter under the table specifically to have a little side with him, and he kind of explains that he's nervous about appearing stupid in front of Shashan And Peter's like, dude, ship sailed.
1: Um, <laughs> Can't help you with that, buddy. <laughs>
0: and then Flash screams shut up. So I love, like, the, if you look at the perspective of, like, everyone above the table, they just hear Flash scream shut up, like, while they're having this conversation for, like, yeah. minutes under the table. It's great. He makes, he asks Peter to kick him anytime he begins to say something that might come across as unintelligent or embarrassing. And Peter's like, hell yeah, that's I've, absolutely, are you kidding me? <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's going to be their little, their relationship.
1: I really like this dynamic that we don't get to see a whole lot of, but I like to imagine happens in very particular circumstances, in very particular contexts Which is that Flash, when insecure, and I feel like maybe this hasn't happened in a while, but it's probably happened before, turns to one of his earliest friends for help, who is Peter, right? It makes perfect sense. I mean, we know that he has identified Peter as this sort of, like, mysteriously attractive to girls figure. But I do think the fact that they have been established as old friends who have distanced informs this as well. And I, I really like that dynamic because- even though Flash is Peter's bully at school in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. when they're one-on-one under this table, they do talk to each other quite like equals, and I love that. Yeah. It's a cool situation to see them in.
0: It really is. I mean, it, it makes sense because there's sort of like this weird profound trust that they're going to have for each other, like knowing knowing each other from such a young age. Like You know that they know each other totally. pretty well, even if they wouldn't admit that. Um, like, it's there and it's kind of palpable in a way that, like, he like he, he can show off a side of himself to Peter that he couldn't show off to his, like, current friends because he has a different persona now. Um, and it's
1: probably natural. Like, he probably doesn't necessarily realize he's doing yeah, that, right? It's not like he's totally. saying, like, oh, I can be vulnerable to Peter. It's probably just, like, reverting to a sort of default setting.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Back at the private box, the uh, parties, uh, they pour some... <laughs> Water that they treat like water.
1: (laughs) They should have just made it wine. Just make it juice.
0: Right. I don't. It is. It is sort of silly. because kids don't don't
1: know what wine is, they're just going to think it's juice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, they pour some water and toast with water this whole time. But while they're doing that, they start to discuss control over the city. So um, and Freddie addresses Tombstone and then Tombstone tells him that he's taking crime too personally. It should actually be run like a business. Countering this, Doc Ock asserts that crime should be treated like a science. And then when Tombstone asks Ock why he called their meeting, they realize none of the three organized their meeting. So there's a few interesting things in this, I think, is like just the idea. I love that, like, It's not, it's not like essential to the episode or anything like that, but the fact that like they're laying out clearly what their individual thought processes are Mm -hmm. for how they would run the criminal underground, which is the thing that like, we're not, we're not going to be able to see, but like, we can imagine like how they would do it. it. And it makes sense based on what we've seen of the, of them when we have seen them like running their little sectors of the criminal underground. It's really cool. Like they clearly have an understanding of who these characters are and like how they operate.
1: I love it. I love yeah. this conversation so much.
0: Yeah, it's good. I also love that Ock holds his wine glass with his tentacle.
1: I was wondering if they were gonna make a joke of that, but they don't. Like he's just he just is that good with his tentacles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this this conversation sort of like like you said, it culminates in this moment where they all realize none of them organized the meeting, and so they're all kind of confused about this and, like, accusing each other of lying, basically saying, like, no, obviously you called this meeting. I don't know why you're being weird about it. Hammerhead sort of seeing this play out and kind of recognizing this dynamic, and I will be very curious to to get your thoughts on this because mm-hmm. I feel like it could be interpreted a couple different ways, but I do think it is a particular way, and I'm curious if you think it's the same as I do. Okay recognizing that this is sort of happening hammerhead asides to sable that they could quote settle this easy he turns to the bouquet of flowers he pulls from the bouquet with a flower moves in to kiss sable and at the last moment reveals a syringe that he sticks her with and not and that knocks her out this sets the meeting off right they go from discussing and accusing each other to actually moving towards hostility towards one another yeah before we get into that specific hostility, Hammerhead recognized exactly what was about to happen and pushed it there. Right? Yeah. Okay. It wasn't I think like uh, so. it wasn't incidental. That was a hundred percent intentional, right? Yeah. I would. I would say. And that he was did 100%. this because of what he was seeing and because of the note that he got. Right.
0: I think so, and I think the idea that like, I mean, it all checks out, right? Because he knew that there was going to be tension getting this group together. That's why it was all. You know, that's why it was all planned to get them all together in the same room, which I think you could you're led to believe that that he is the one who did all of this. And then it's kind of like turn on its head by the end oh, of the episode. I see,
1: I don't think. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, yes, it, you're it's, led it's, to believe that he could have been the one who organized the whole thing. Right. Right. Ultimately, like jumping ahead. I don't think he is. And I don't think we're like necessarily right. supposed to believe that. But at this point, like, yeah, he's you're sort of like made to question how many strings he's sort of pulling but i guess the clue is like the fact that he gets that note sort of like calls that slightly into question
0: yeah i think i think that's that's like your first clue that like he's not actually holding all the cards here but he definitely wants this to happen but and it's also kind of unclear like if he is specifically working with the person if he's knowingly working with the person who did plan all of this or if it or or not
1: too My theory because I don't think it actually affects anything uh, like as we discussed this episode mm-hmm. my theory is that he's not and I'll be curious to see if that clarifies. yeah but I sort of walk away from this particular scene. Another a, a, another scene we'll get to, and then the, the end of this, mm-hmm. thinking that he just, and that's why I said I think he's really smart in this episode. I think he just recognized what was going on yeah. and took advantage of a moment that was manufactured and a moment that he's supposed to be a part of. I think he recognized it, and I think he didn't have to, and I think if he didn't, he still could have walked, he could have sort of walked away from it, kind of um or just gotten wrapped up in it but i think he's smart in recognizing the cards that were put in front of him putting sort of faith in those cards and acting mm-hmm. appropriately yeah i think that that's f-
0: yeah i think that's fair i think that's probably the smoothest way to explain it all cuz it's purposely kept kind of vague in this one right so yeah it's never. It's like they purposely kind of hold, keep it at arm's length for like how much he's in control. And then there's gradually like more and more clues. I think that like he doesn't know any. He really doesn't know anything that's going on. It's just sort of playing it by ear. But I but yeah, it's that never. Though. I I do too. I think it works really well. And the fact that you still end the episode like I I still I really don't know like how closely he was working with like yeah. the ultimate big bad or not or if he was at all. And and, and mm-hmm. it works either way. Given both of those characters, so like, yeah, which I think is really cool, honestly.
1: Ugh. Yeah, that's why I say I think that this arc is is probably my favorite of the season so far, because I just feel like it. uh, It just it's woven. It's so woven. It is. It is, (laughs) and it all and it all
0: makes sense too. Like if he's just given these flowers, like I'm the 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 syringe that he uses just came from the flowers. Uh, which it seemed like that's what happened, right? Like they that's were, what that's,
1: I think, right? But the, but it's, I, I, it's
0: it's not clear that he pulls it out. So that right. also could have been an incidental thing. And he had yeah. the syringe anyway. And like, that was his, like, that's the thing that makes it unclear. Cause you could also read it that like, cause yeah, I don't think you ever see him like pull it out of the flowers. So the flowers could no. have just been like a weird thing. That's just a clue that like what's going on isn't, isn't what's really going on. But he always planned to, to knock out Sable and, and cause the chaos. Like that could have been his plan. And then the rest of it, anything else that happens in the episode is someone else's plan.
1: Kind of. I mean, there is something he does explicitly pull out of the flowers so there's two things. One, he explicitly pulls out of the flowers. The syringe is unclear. Like, he could yeah. have just had that. He could oh, have also pulled that right. out of the flowers.
0: That's right. So I think that yeah, actually
1: makes it right. less clear, the fact that he then pulls something else out. And I think it's it's sort of, like, almost pushes it more in the direction of, like, this is just a thing he has. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really sure. <laughs>
0: and the thing, but the thing that's really great on this episode like, is that it doesn't matter. Like, it really doesn't no, matter. No, it really, really because doesn't because point... it
1: all plays out in a particular way. And the way yeah. it plays out is what's interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, and also like, no matter what angle you look at it from, like you can explain it. Like it makes Mm -hmm. sense because everybody like has a particular thing that they want. Well, either. Well, yeah, everybody has a particular thing that they want. And like this chaos happening is, 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 is is, like the way to make it happen. So like it's, yeah, it all, it all checks out. It's great. Either way, like Hammerhead is here to be an instrument of chaos in a way that will eventually lead to his own gain. And then the end of the episode reveals that it was actually someone else Who will fully gain from from that. Um, So, like, no matter what way you look at it, it all checks out. It's great. It's so well done. So great. If I have one criticism of this episode, it's that I feel like Silver Sable is kind of done dirty in it. Like, considering how badass she was in her first appearance, she really gets nothing to do. And the little she gets to do, like, doesn't shed her in a really good light like i like this this particular moment in a vacuum is fine because it makes sense that this would set off the chaos because she's the because she's silvio manfredi's daughter like nobody else has like has someone that they like care about that much that would be that affected by like being like taken out right so like it makes sense i think the problem is that like when she finally wakes up at the end of the episode it they get really does her dirty and then makes the whole whole appearance kind of shitty
1: I agree with you. I would actually, maybe not to the same degree, and certainly not with the same sentiment, but Mm. I would apply the same thing to Vulture. I think Vulture is there because Sable and because Hammerhead are there, and it's kind of perfect (laughs) Like who their partners are. It's perfect that the guy who's accused of being too personal in the way that he handles things has his literal daughter there. The fact that the guy who wants to treat things like a science has a fellow scientist there and the guy who treats it like a business has, you know, <laughs> a guy that is sort of self-interested in a business type of way there. Like oh, it makes sense wow. that they're all there. Didn't think about that. But because Hammerhead is the one who, I mean like it's basically just all their number ones. Like their first in commands all make perfect sense thematically, but because Hammerhead is the one who kind of gets the story, mm-hmm. Sable and Vulture are both literally thrown aside. I mean, one is knocked out and one is is basically just disabled like immediately. <laughs> yeah, I got
0: to be honest, I totally forgot that Vulture was even in this one. <laughs> yeah, Vulture's there
1: and then Vulture, who has been shown to be a capable combatant and like a trustworthy adversary for Doc Ock, is, is honestly disposed of immediately. Like I think in the next scene and then never seen from again.
0: You'll have to describe it to me because I can't even picture what happens to it. it <laughs> okay, out, honestly. Okay. so
1: basically, so yeah, this chaos breaks out. And actually, Vulture's the first one to, quote, draw a weapon because he immediately unleashes his wings, like, ripping off his own cape f- situation. And then after that, Hammerhead pulls, like, this futuristic, com- like, Tommy gun, which I think Love is a it. really fun detail given what they're referencing. Love it. And he... Starts shooting at Vulture, who like uses his wings to protect himself, but that immediately immediately disposes of Vulture. Like th- he does, he does nothing else. This is when Doc Ock screams "treachery," <laughs> which is the first of two incredible screaming lines that Doc Ock delivers in this. Amazing. Just ah, uh, Chef's kiss. He's so good, so Iconic. fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Love this it. is also where like Doc Ock throws off his cape and all his extra stuff and you just see him in like his perfect long tail tux and like tentacles. Oh, it's so great. Such a I good look. I was so excited for you keep to it. see this
0: episode. So keep excited it. for you to see this one.
1: Fuck <laughs> the jumpsuit. Keep the tux, buddy. <laughs> he pulls it off very well. Also, all of the men in tuxes in this episode are drawn with such incredible detail given how much action they are given. Those creases do not fucking budge. It's amazing. Tombstone's creases, incredible. Doc Ock's creases, incredible. Like, they never let up. Those pants are on point. Yeah, great. Love it. So much respect given to these tuxedos. Mm Mm-hmm. And the
0: animators of those tuxedos, 100%.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. So, okay, let's see. Where are we at? Okay. So, Hammerhead is shooting at Vulture. Ock is screaming. Everybody's sort of drawn their weapons, I, except for Silvermane, because that's, that's its own thing in a moment. And Hammerhead, again, I think being really smart, recognizing things and, and connecting dots, as he's firing, shouts, your plan worked, boss, and tosses the gun to Tombstone, who is visibly surprised by what Hammerhead has just done, and then quickly attacked by Doc Ock. He literally says, what? Yes.
0: <laughs> it's great. It's so out of character for him because he's always so like yes. calm and stoic. So for him just be like,
1: excuse me, what? <laughs> so good. His reaction, but also just the way that Hammerhead so like violently pulls the puppet string in this moment. I love so much. It's so quick thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. So but good. But I think
0: that's what had me convinced that like he was planning all of this, like up until like, you know, the end, you know, well, I mean, up until you start getting yeah. better hints where it's just like, it's so well calculated that it's just like, I could see him thinking ahead for that. But like, if we're to believe that he's just kind of playing with the cards that he's being given by the ultimate manipulator, then like fuck yeah, man. Like you are,
1: you are something else. (laughs) I think that changes him from being like a particular kind of calculated to being a particular type of sharp. I think it's, he, he proves himself to be less of a calculated character, which I don't think we're ever really supposed to believe that he is and makes him more of like a street smart, sharp, like adaptive character. And I like that for him. I really, really do. I think it's a lot of fun, especially given that he's sort of been failing at these very specific tasks that he's been given. When he's been given a situation where he doesn't have to necessarily follow Tombstone's rules, he sort of like steps up. And part of that, I'm sure, is motivated by vengeance and and sort of being fed up with Tombstone. But I love it nonetheless. This is why I said last week that I feel like given what we see in this arc... I do think Hammerhead could have carried an arc as the main villain of an arc. I think it ultimately would have gone a certain way to be convincing, I think. And I think we see how that might might have gone by the end of this episode. But I do think Hammerhead could have been a compelling temporary big bad.
0: Yeah, it would be his... Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, if he
1: just if he just gets really cocky, you know what I mean? Like, I think that would be such a fun story, especially if he's being manipulated into believing he has a right to be cocky. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I think that'd be great. Ah, who knew Hammerhead? Who know, knew right? you'd be wa- like? I'd be walking away from this series, being like, man, Hammerhead, whoo, they really, they nailed that. <laughs> yeah,
0: they do such. Yeah, they just do such great things. It's fabulous. Yeah, well, below all all of this chaos that is breaking out, <laughs> there's the opera going on, right? So uh Jameson is there, he's really restless, he's he's moving around, fidgeting, complaining about the for seat that's built for hamsters. <laughs> <laughs> he's also shushed by Hobie Brown, who just happens to be there, but it's a very clever placement of him being here in front Love of him. This. Because jo- Jameson then responds, zip it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, I think we doubted for a moment that this was gonna be good, but this is good. The Hobie Brown yeah. joke is good,
0: yeah, it's very good, it's very good. <laughs> oh, it's worth noting too, not I mean it's nothing that not much, but I would be curious if anybody is more familiar with this so the the all the music that they use is. In this episode, is from one opera. Um, yeah, that is represented. It's an opera called *Rigoletto*. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know really much about it, but just from uh, the little that I know, which is from the Wikipedia page, Same. it's that. <laughs> yeah, it's about um, it's about like a a, a a curse that that is uh, put on a couple of characters that results in a court jester, uh, his daughter falling in love with the duke, and then her life or she sacrifices her life to save him from an assassin that is hired by the court jester so it's like a poetic justice tragic irony kind of thing i wonder if they just picked this because it's a popular opera and then they just could just use the music from it or if there's if there's like a meaning in this show that like reflects what's happened in the episode i mean like there's a daughter in the episode that like is sacrificed to cause the chaos i don't think it works but like there, there might be something there. So if you're if you're aware of opera, hit us up. I'd be curious if, uh, if there's deeper meaning
1: in <laughs> if, this. If you're proficient in opera, I think I think we're all aware of opera. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did the exact same thing you did, and I was fully expecting to find like an immediate response to why this was chosen, yeah. and was like mildly disappointed to not find like a an answer i was like oh like i'm gonna have my mind blown when i look up what this is you know yeah um, but i couldn't quite figure it out and i didn't dig super deep but i, I didn't see any like immediate reasons for this for, for why this one was chosen
0: yeah and i I mean it's also possible because like it's all different songs from the opera so maybe some of the songs are more reflective of the scenes that they used in um, yeah. but i also did find like a, a question on ask greg where someone asked him about like which songs were used in the episode and he was just and, and like he remembered the the opera but he was straight up like oh I don't have my spectacular files for this anymore so I don't really remember which songs were used and like that's <laughs> it it's so, like I feel like if there was like more intention with them he would probably remember something uh, but I don't know maybe I,
1: I think it's also entirely possible that this is just a very popular opera because yeah I'm gonna be honest if you had told me like Hey, sing some opera. This is honestly one of the very few that I would be able to generate anything from.
0: See, I don't even, I can't even go that far. I'm so unaware of most opera, so.
1: It's the part where the music starts becoming really prominent where I started recognizing it, where it was like that, da, 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 that thing. Oh yeah. And I was I like, mean, I guess Oh, I, I do recognize this. So. Yeah. I recognize
0: some of the music like independently, but I would have never, yeah. if you asked me where it came from or like, what to, to Oh no, I wouldn't have known what
1: like, I was singing at all.
0: Yeah. So that's probably, that's probably ultimately what it was. They just chose something familiar, which is fine. It's still the fact that they chose opera to score. Most of this episode is on its own <laughs> a lot. So
1: oh, yeah, super yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, I dig it so much.
1: So upstairs in the box, we see Silverman suit up um, in a much less horrifying getup than, than we would see in like a comic book. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> this is very much less like my body is a horrific like metal skeleton and more like a, I just have an exoskeleton made of metal which I appreciate because Silvermane is actually kind of horrifying in a lot of iterations. So thanks. Spectacular. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm also glad
0: that like Silvermane's entire characterization isn't just like, I'm old. Being old is terrible. Like that's Yeah. That's a good point actually. (laughs) Has nothing. That's like not part of it. Like, and that's fine. Like I love, cause I know that the, I know that, you know, the robot stuff happens in the comics, but like they just skip to that. Like there's like, it's just like, yeah, he's a mob boss. Who's, getting older, but still wants to stay in the game, of course he's going to get a robot suit. Like, duh. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah.
1: yeah, why not, you know? <laughs> um. So, yeah, he suits up, and the fight sort of, like, increases in its brutality, which results in them ending up in the opera hall as a lobby. As the three of them continue to clash, and just, like, I love this. They start, They They went so quickly from, like, from, like, let's talk about how we're going to... S- figure this out to just like beating the (laughs) shit out of each other. And I love Mm -hmm. it so much while they're doing this hammerhead actually just remains in the box upstairs, drinking his water, uh, (laughs) feeling like very satisfied with himself. Um, And I love that sort of juxtaposition of him just sort of like sitting in the room that they just destroyed while they continue to destroy another room in a totally different space. Love that. Love it. So good. It It really does feel, it feels significant like seeing him, sip on his own satisfaction. I love that. Yeah. We do get a brief moment where Patch calls Robbie to report the confrontation, which we will see sort of come full circle in just a moment. Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, We'll see that in this next scene where we cut back to uh, another dinner table where MJ and Mark are relishing in their undate. Are you enjoying your undate? undoubtedly they're like all over each other it's hilarious <laughs> like feeding feeding each other
1: desserts and everything <laughs> they're so funny because i feel like i feel like they do believe to a degree in what they're saying but i also feel like the level to which they're performing it feels a little bit like disguising part of what they probably actually feel, you know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah, totally. Where it's
1: like, we're totally not on a date. <laughs> no, this is stupid. Yeah. But like, they're obviously enjoying the fact that they're with each other. They're obviously attracted to each other. Mark drew a portrait of her. She <laughs> blushed about it. Like, it's so funny. I actually really enjoy it because it feels yeah. so like, you know, it. Fe- like I do think that, like I said, I do think they believe it to a degree, but it also feels like what a 16 year old would say if they're like I'm just like not into commitment
0: yeah it's just a teen just trying you know trying to be their own person and trying to yeah. be edgy and stuff it's the thing that everybody does as a teenager and it, like you're just it. lying to yourself because like I don't want to be normal I'm I'm different <laughs> and special <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, you ha- you want a boyfriend and he's right in front of you. Like, you like him. It's fine. Like, it's totally fine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, And it would be fine the other way. It's just, we see you. We see you. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. we see what you're doing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not how you act when you are just that uninterested in people. Like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: But they're it's having funny. so much fun that I they also are. really dig it.
0: Yeah, no, it's fine. The thing is, like, if they d- – I wouldn't – I'm not, like – I don't need them to get together still. Like, if this was literally just, like, okay, we had our fun. Anyway, bye. Like, that would be fine, too. It's just totally. fun seeing all of this play totally. out. Like,
1: They're yeah. so silly.
0: Yeah. And they're also, like, the only people at this table who aren't, like, insecure and awkward either, which I think says something about their attitudes about all of this.
1: They <laughs> it's are, like They are refreshing among this group because – even though they have their own stuff going on and we see a little bit of that this episode, they've sort of consistently been, I think, a refreshing pair among this group because this group does have so much established tension and drama that it's like fun to see this sort of pair that kind of just kind of flies in the face of that inherently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's it's refreshing.
0: I totally, I totally agree. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, so yeah, like I said, they're the only ones that are having fun here, and it's just going to get more dour, unfortunately, because Peter gets a call from Robbie uh, passing along the news of this whole Opera Hall clash. And Peter does, to his credit, like, combat it at first before he knows like the full extent of what's going on. It's like, sure. I'm not going to leave my date on Valentine's Day, but it's super villains, so actually, I have to. darn. And, you know, Liz is obviously disappointed. She tries to object. Peter shares that it's for the bugle. And Liz is like, they don't have any other photographers. Peter's like, no, they don't. But I promise I will return soon. And so it's like, okay, maybe this will be okay. And she immediately, like, leans in for a kiss right in front of his fucking face. And he doesn't see it. And instead leans over past her, like, reaches for Gwen's hand and apologizes to her. (laughs) (laughs)
1: okay okay this episode is great in almost every way i recognize that peter is being super shitty this episode it's too much i do think the one thing i would criticize about this episode from the actual sort of like writing standpoint is i think this could have been smoother and i think they could have they, or, or more natural, because I think they've done a lot of the building up to this moment in natural ways. Mm-hmm. And this felt like a little, a little like too oblivious, even for Peter.
0: I The fact that his girlfriend is literally making kissy faces at him for a quite a long time, and he like actually reaches over and grabs Gwen's hand. Like there's a, a lot to it. And and it, they-
1: and not a mistake. I thought that's what they were doing at first. I thought they were at first making it that he accidentally grabbed Gwen's hand instead of Liz's. Yeah. And I thought that's kind of what they were going to do. But it turns out that he intentionally grabs Gwen's hand. And I was like, that's a little weird. I feel like even Peter, even Peter, who we've seen sort of challenge his own impulses – As he's sort of like grown in his relationship with Liz, even he, I feel like, would be a little bit better than this. I feel like they could have done something, maybe even just with like the blocking of it. I understand that they really needed Flash to be sitting next to Peter, which prevents Peter from sitting next to Gwen. But I feel like if he had been sitting between the two, they could have more naturally gotten to this point but part of it is like being able to show all 12 of the teens at the same time, which requires him to sit next to flash instead of across from flash. And so I feel like part of it was just like organizing where they were that restrained them a little bit. But there was something about this that I was just sort of like, this is a little much and not quite as smooth or natural as they've been to this point.
0: I think, I think, I think a big thing is that like you could have conveyed what we're supposed to feel from this and sort of like, the sort of heartbreak that we're supposed to feel from it without all of those little elements. Like the fact that Gwen, that uh, Liz is making the obvious kissy face and she's holding it for a long time. The fact that, that Peter grabs Gwen's hand and, and says like, I'm sorry, Gwen. And doesn't really say, I'm sorry, Liz. Like, I think all of those things together end up being too much. You could have taken out a couple of those pieces Mm. and still – and it still would have been conveyed fine. It's just the fact that all of that stuff is too much.
1: Maybe that's part of it. Yeah, like, I'm I'm trying to imagine, like, what some of the stripped-down circumstances – like, more stripped-down versions would be. Like, um, if he didn't grab her hand, but sort of, like, as Liz was leaning towards him, he didn't notice and, like, turned to Gwen instead – I I could see that almost, almost like similar to how Harry treated Gwen in the episode where he like accidentally pushes her hand away to call his dad. Yeah. Something like that. And using the same pieces on the board, but maybe just not all of them.
0: He could have kissed Liz, but it would just be like a really quick peck, but then still grabs Gwen's hand afterwards and says, I'm sorry. And it's not the fact that he ignores Liz. It's the fact that his reaction with Liz is very quick but yeah. his reaction with Gwen feels like longer and more heartfelt like that. What I would have felt much better about that, too. It's just like too much happening.
1: Yeah. Like maybe they're just like not giving the audience quite enough credit in like understanding the dynamic. And so they're like laying it on a little too thick.
0: Yeah. And they're trying to make it like a really over dramatic teen drama moment. Yeah. Like I get that. Like you get the moment of Liz not being kissed back while Peter's like completely like like leaned over. Her. Like I get I get that. But it's still just, it feels like you can only do those types of moments like where they're over the top sometimes. And this one just, it just didn't work. Like it was not the right moment for it.
1: Serves its purpose though. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it, it gets us to where we need to go. So I I totally get it. It's good in theory. One, the one slightly weak point of this otherwise impeccable episode.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: (laughs) Hello amazing friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular and up patrons Katie, Joe, Greg, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lily If you would like to join
0: our Patreon we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you We have our Spider Bites where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe Such as comics like the current Miles Morales series and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt
1: Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our mini-series on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or How We Make Certain Episodes.
0: And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more.
1: Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway. So recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. So we cut back into the actual concert hall, ever so briefly, where a Jonah Jameson has fallen asleep and is snoring and abruptly wakes up and sort of causes a scene as a result of that sort of like jerking awake and is chastised by his wife and sort of like takes this opportunity to be like, "Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, I actually have to leave to see something that's happening and investigate something that's going on, not realizing that there's actually a thing going on," which is beautiful. As a result of this, he actually does end up in the lobby where those three parties are fighting, so like full circle does in fact end up investigating something. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. In that fight, Tombstone identifies Hammerhead as the cause for their conflict, which is kind of right, (laughs) sort of, but the others don't believe him because as far as they know, Hammerhead works for him. So they're like, no, Hammerhead is just a stooge and he's your stooge. So clearly you set this up. So clever. This is like a great dynamic that the three of them continue to sort of carry out through the whole fight where they like periodically will accuse somebody of something And it just won't like they just can't get on the same page because they've they've positioned themselves and posed themselves as competing forces. So there's never a point where they're ever gonna fully trust each other. Yeah. It's great. It's great.
0: It's great. I also like, instead of just saying, I don't believe you, Ak says, indeed, your denial lacks sincerity.
1: (laughs) He's so dramatic. (laughs) So extra. So so wonderful. So wonderful. He is top notch in this episode. Really he is so good in this episode. Yeah. Ah, so great. So yeah. they continue to fight and Spider-Man arrives just in time to deliver kind of like, I think a couple of quips, but one really solid quip about this being a three-way battle for New York's biggest jerk. I really like that. I like it too. <laughs> and in time to save Jameson and two kids who have just sort of like continued to appear throughout this episode for some reason from <laughs> getting smushed by a chandelier. So yeah. Perfect timing, Spidey.
0: hmm So now this this trio is continuing a two battle, but now with a hint of Spidey, and it takes them outside to the Opera House Plaza. So now there's like a lot of people watching on. Captain Stacy arrives. He begins giving orders to like secure the area and to protect civilians. And um, battles continuing as Doc Ock and Silvermane like focus on each other. Meanwhile, Tombstone attempts to call Blackie Gaxton. And Blackie happens to be like at the restaurant where the kids are eating, so it's a nice little quick connection to what's going to happen in the next scene. Since we're following Blackie, that said, I don't know why he calls Blackie Gaxton. Like, what was he ask? What was he going to ask for?
1: <laughs> I think, I think based on subsequent events related to phone calls, I think we're to believe he was just calling Blackie for backup. Okay, I, and mean, I like, guess that makes sense. Based on how Tombstone views himself, based on something that happens in just a moment about Tombstone's public reputation, it makes sense to me that he would call somebody else in
0: oh, to sort duh. of like
1: to to be a public combatant for him.
0: Yeah, yeah, because Blackie is like has ties to the criminal underworld, so he's gonna be able to just send whatever big rando <laughs> criminal dudes that can beat people up,
1: like whatever his yeah. cronies
0: are, to to fight for him. No, that checks out, okay.
1: Yeah. I think that's what it is. One thing I want to point out, just to jump back like a few seconds, the way that they end up outside is that I think, I think, is it Spider-Man that drop kicks Doc Ock through a window or something? Somebody like throws or, or launches through some sort of force uh, Doc Ock through the front window. And the way that they animate him flying through the window and like landing on the ground is like really smooth. And then they have, um, I think tombstone maybe like jumps out of that same window. And this is these two moments where doc, Ock flies through the window and, and tombstone jumps through the window. This is where I specifically noticed because I pointed it out how well they're animating these characters in tuxedos. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to identify exactly where yeah. it was that I was like, Wow, these tuxedos are really well done.
0: <laughs> so yeah, Man, it's all so good. It is They're all...
1: preserving those creases.
0: <laughs> hey, you know they've got the probably presumably the most expensive tuxedos you can get.
1: Very well pressed.
0: Yeah, very well pressed. Probably some s- wild Marvel science stuff happening to keep them impossibly pressed.
1: I would like to believe, actually, that I mean, Tombstone suit is probably very expensive. But I bet you Doc Ock's and vultures probably weren't actually that expensive, but probably looked expensive.
0: Yeah, where do they get their funding from? Like,
1: well, nobody... I guess people hire them, right? People hire them so. out. Maybe that's
0: where they get their funding from. Or I guess like he he's robbed some banks, and we just haven't seen it happen. Or I guess you know at one point Doc Ock like almost had like like surveillance over like the entire world for a second. So he probably like has been able to manipulate. He's probably like manipulated computer stuff to get money wired to him illegally or something like that too, at some point. Okay. So, Yeah. Okay. His
1: suit's probably expensive too then. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just because I am absolutely in love with this version of Doc Ock and really want this particular like boring, but amazing fanfic. I just really want to believe that there was like this version of Doc Ock who reverts back to, Slightly to the like anxious Otto Octavius, like stressing over what he has to wear for this meeting because he knows he's going to be meeting with two of New York's like premier crime <laughs> bosses.
0: Oh, I absolutely feel that.
1: <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. He's, he's like having sort of like an anxious fit with like all the other like criminals just being like, what is he stressing out about? <laughs> like,
0: he doesn't know which cape to wear.
1: Exactly. Do I wear the cape? Of course I wear the cape. And someone's like, "I think the cape is a little much." Shut up! <laughs> I just feel like it would be really great. Oh, that sounds fabulous. <laughs> oh man, I can't remember what that type of like fic is called. I'll have to. I'll have to. I'll have to ask Second Batgirl because like that's who I go to when I'm like, "What is this kind of fic called?" But there's like a particular kind of fic that is taking these sort of extreme colorful characters and putting them into like very ordinary situations like doing the dishes sure i, <laughs> and I feel that. like that's what this would be and i would 100% read that
0: yeah i love it i love it man you know if the show was like <laughs> came out in the right time and was like super popular or at least marvel was like treating it like like they treat like their best properties like we definitely would be getting like youtube like shorts and supplements and that's oh. the kind of stuff that we could get because i'm sure that this team who thought so deeply about everything has so much like extra material and oh my gosh and backstory and stuff that they would love to love to have done totally. that
1: totally uh, oh, oh well. tragic so tragic. i guess that's you know that's what fanfic is for i just need to go all in i suppose yeah i
0: guess so but then sometime but like i think it's harder when it's something that's like really well written. Cause then it's like, yeah, but whatever I write can never be like, I like pan fanfic for stuff. That's like very deeply flawed <laughs> and you could like yeah. f- fix it or like fill in the gaps for it. Yeah. But like the thing I love about this show is how well written it is and how much, how pretty it looks when you see it on screen. And it's like, I, know. I don't know if I <laughs> like, I I, I you just got to
1: write it yourself and use your imagination.
0: Yeah, I guess I, but the only I'm, not, way. I'm not that good. <laughs> I'm not this good of a writer. So, <laughs>
1: Uh, we'll we'll just dream we'll just dream yeah
0: Yeah. oh yeah and i guess i guess one other one other important point is that when when tombstone does call blackie like the it's like a jammed signal or something like that like we see blackie on the other end and it's just static so that's the thing that's going to come up a couple of times yep the other thing is it's a clever way to get us back to the restaurant because he is at the restaurant where the kids are eating and we see him turn his attention to mark who has just approached his table, and uh, Liz is watching this from afar with a disappointed look. And then when he returns to the table, Mark is very conspicuously buying a whole basket of roses with a whole big old wad of money, and then he showers the table with roses, and Mark sees Liz's very disappointed face. You know, if if you remember Blackie Gaxton, like, When we first saw him, like earlier in the season, he was making bets with people, probably uh, presumably illegal gambling. And there has been a a gambling problem mentioned with Mark in his first appearance. So,
1: yes, coloring that in a little bit. Yeah. Well, outside, the battle continues. They've just been beating the shit out of each other. Hard to describe everything along the way. Like we said at the top of this, just watch the episode because it's all amazing and they're brutal to one another. <laughs> and given the combatants, it's uh it's pretty awesome. Yep. But this battle now continues to a very prominent opera soundtrack. There's been music playing this whole time, but this is when it really kicks in and they start like sort of like coordinating blows to the music, which is really really incredible and yeah. I love it so much. It's so So beautiful and so unnecessary. And I'm so grateful for them for doing it. Yeah, It's amazing. We get another one of these calls. Doc Ock attempts to call Craven, which at first I was like, oh shit. But then realized (laughs) like, okay, well, they're doing a thing here because when he calls Craven, he can't actually reach him because he also gets that sort of staticky signal. We then get this weird cutaway to the Parker residence where Aunt May is being visited by Doc Bromwell. And they sort of like have a little cute Valentine's Day moment where Bromwell's like, oh, what are you doing alone on Valentine's Day? And Aunt May like, oh, what would I be doing? And I thought this was going to be like more of a thing. But it honestly just pretty much serves the purpose of telling a like Peter's hanging out with his friends joke that then cuts to Spider-Man literally hanging upside down from one of Doc Ock's tentacles. It's cute, yeah, but it's also like
0: <laughs> I, it really feels to me like they just recognize that Aunt May hasn't been in the season very much. I and yes. like and, <laughs> the, we, and we also hadn't seen Doctor Bromwell at all like this season. And you know, they had their little flirtation last season, so they're like, you know, it's Valentine's, it's Valentine's Day. Day. Why not give him a little, a little, a little nice, nice little crumble here, or like,
1: nice, yeah, nice little crumb. Oh, they could have done them a little bit more more justice, though. It's not bad. It's it's really not bad. It just, like, caught me off guard.
0: <laughs> it's Yeah, it's fine. I think there's more interesting stuff that happens, happening in this episode. So, like, I'm glad they didn't spend more time on it because, it yeah. you know, because it would have taken away from all the good stuff that's also happening. So. Totally. It's cute.
1: It's fine. It's harmless. I just want them to get theirs, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I agree. They're cute. I agree. Yeah, a well, less cute is when Doc Ock tosses Spider-Man into Captain Stacy's cruiser.
1: And Never Spi- describe Doc Ock as less cute. How dare you? No,
0: not him. The action <laughs> of Spider-Man being tossed into a cruiser isn't
1: cute. <laughs> it is when Doc Ock's doing it. Okay, fair. fair. Everything he everything he touches is cute just being combative.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like like what's happening in this episode, really. So
1: I defend my man. <laughs>
0: Spidey has like a funny little moment where he's like, "Why am I trying to stop three crime bosses from like beating the shit out of each other?" And then right on cue, Doc Ock throws Silverman into a balcony support beam. Of course, there's always a support beam that people are (laughs) always standing on, so like a bunch of people are falling. And then he's just like, "Oh, that's right, I'm a superhero and I save people." Good lord! So he has to jump right back into battle.
1: Yeah, I do like that. That happens right next to Captain Stacy, who really kind of only showed up to establish a strategy of keeping civilians safe. Like it's really a tiny tiny thing, but Captain Stacy didn't even really need to be there while all this was happening. He could have easily showed up at the end like he does sometimes. So I I don't know. I don't know what I don't even know what I'm saying, but I like that Captain Stacy shows up and is like, "Protect the civilians." And then yeah. Spider-Man has this realization like when civilians are directly in danger. I don't know. Yeah.
0: It's. I mean, everything has a re- has a purpose in this episode. I think is what makes it really good. Yeah, so. they
1: just connect things really well, whether they're like meant to be noticed or not. It's all. Yeah. It's all really well connected.
0: Yeah, yeah. We also got another bit of of of, of phones being jammed because Jonah tries to call Robbie again, but cannot get through. Yes. Or not again? No. He. he who called him the first? No. Who called Rob? Patch. Foswell. Slash. Foswell called him. So the calling, trying to call Robbie for the first time, I guess to to get us story written about this
1: yeah so doc ock ever the smart cookie proposes that the three of them cease fighting each other at least long enough to kill spider-man because he's like this this is the reason why none of us can fully get done what any of us are trying to do let's kill this guy and he says this while he has spider-man like pinned to the ground basically in a in a position that really sucks for Peter. Like, he, like Spider-Man is not getting out of this. And Silvermane even starts to comply. Like, he even, not, not necessarily comply, but, like, agrees with Doc Ock and is like, fine, sure, yeah, I'll finish off what neither one of you have been able to do so far in killing Spider-Man. But Tombstone, which we've sort of alluded to a couple times to this point, steps in to stop the two of them. And at first the like Doc Ock is like what are you doing like we have we have him like let's kill him but Tombstone's like I can't do that there's too many people watching and L Thompson Lincoln is sort of like a good guy to these people like I can't compromise that image to which Doc Ock delivers an amazing screaming line once again, but one that builds so perfectly where he says, then L. Thompson Lincoln is weak. <laughs> it's Fabulous. so good. Fabulous. Ah, <laughs> weak. <laughs> he just doesn't need to scream, but he just screams. Yeah. <laughs> He's, just, He's full ah, of a lot of rage. <laughs> I get Such it. a flamboyant little hamster. It's great. <laughs> That's what he is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <sighs> Fabulous. Well, back inside, uh, you know, teens are dancing after dinner. It's nice. Shoshon says tell is actually like she's being really like like empathetic with Flash cuz she's like, "Hey, it's un- it's okay if we stay put. I know your knee is injured. So if it's bothering you, we don't have to dance. It's not a big deal. Uh, we can just stay and talk." Which uh Flash is like, "Talk? Oh god, no. What? Uh-uh, we're going to dance." And Shashawn, like, clocks this. Like, she can tell that he's, like, freaking out as nervous. So she's like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to worry about looking smart. I like you for who you are. Uh, and who you are is honest. And it's really nice. And they do end up dancing. Flash even has a really nice, like, yeah, like honestly, like, no, let's dance. Honestly, it's, I would want nothing more. I don't remember the actual wording of it. but it's really I can't sweet.
1: think of anything else.
0: Yes, it's really sweet and it's delivered really well. And it's all, I I actually like, I'm on board with their romance.
1: Right? Is Flash cute in this moment? Is he like being sincerely like a pleasant person? (laughs) Yeah. It's very sweet. It's very sweet.
0: Yeah. I I mean, she, she, like, it's funny because like that's the thing that's so interesting is that like the thing that made Shashan so fun and that rubbed Flash the wrong way is how like, how she could kind of see him and didn't like him and showed him that and was honest about it. And now like the same thing's happening, but kind of in reverse a little bit where like, yeah, she can see him because she like Mary Jane is, has, is like really like really emotionally smart and, and really Mm -hmm. emotionally intelligent. And so can be honest with him. And that in turn allows him to be more honest than he and then he often is allowed to be with his other friend groups and the other circles that he's running with. Um uh, like she brings out the best in him and that's I love that. That's great.
1: Yeah, I think it it took me it took me a little bit of reflecting on this to sort of like fully wrap my head around it because I think at first it does feel a little abrupt for Sean yes. to suddenly be like into Flash, but I think if you look at it from the sort of perspective of Flash is somebody that she might be attracted to sort of inherently, but can't stand the sort of like front that he puts on. And -hmm. that's enough to avoid him. But once she is able to see that like the front is in fact a front or that he's willing to at least break it down or can't fully keep it up all the time, revealing a vulnerable side of him, Mm -hmm. I think then you can sort of understand her like allowing herself to lean into that attraction where she might not have before, right? Yeah. So like, at first I was like, it's a little much for her to say like, I like you for who you are. But yeah, she has seen him this whole time. She's seen who he is. She has also seen who he tries to be. And as long as he's trying to be that, she's like, I'm not gonna fuck with that. But when he's like breaking that down a little bit, that's like an open door for her to be like, okay, maybe, maybe this is something that's like, workable here, you know. Yeah. So it it makes sense when you sort of think about it a little bit more.
0: It does. Well, it's it's really nuanced. It's 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 weird cuz it's really nuanced but also like you said it, it is really abrupt. Like it happened very quickly, but um but it all makes sense. Like it's it it well, I guess it feels like it happened really quickly, but it has actually been building for a while. It's just like the turn happened quickly and and it's but but even with that, like it all it all it all makes sense. Like it all it's just really yeah, it's just really layered and nuanced and That's great. The show does that really well. Totally. Yeah, yeah. The
1: the number of different kinds of relationships that they highlight is actually pretty remarkable.
0: That's true. Because, yeah, there's no romantic relationship that they present has the same dynamic. Like, there are definitely some that are archetypes. But, like, if there is one archetype, there's not another one, you know? Like, everybody's relationship we saw presented we saw build up differently or we met them at a different stage in their relationship or like who was pursuing who was different and like every the way that everyone like interacts with it with everyone else like yeah like not everyone it's just like i bring out the best in you like other people just compliment each other really well and that's fine Mm -hmm. too you know
1: yeah and the closest you get is sally and rand and glory and kenny but even then the roles that they play within those relationships aren 't the same, yeah, you know, like you kind of draw a little bit of the same things from them, but none of those four characters are carbon copies of each other, so it still ends up manifesting in a different way for both of those two couples
0: oh man it's like I could I said this before, I guess, so it 's like if you if you stripped all the superhero stuff out of the show and it was just a teen drama. I would still be so like into it because all these characters are so engaging.
1: (laughs) They really are. They really are.
0: Yeah. There's one other little bit in the scene where Liz obviously is like still upset that her date isn't back yet on Valentine's day. and She calls it out. Mark and MJ being who they are are like, it's chill, yo, like, it's just Valentine's Day, it doesn't matter, it's not actually romantic, it's invented by greeting card companies, <laughs> blah, 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 same old, same old, They're just trying to be so cool about it. Oh, um, yep. And it's really, but it's really funny, And there's two things that I love about this, because there's, there's a joke where, like, Mary Jane's like, there's nothing romantic about it, and that immediately after that, like, <laughs> there's a proposal happening in the background, it's like, yes, yes, and everybody's clapping, and she's just like, I guess it's a little romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the funny thing about it: the those two characters have appeared before. It's like it's like a nerdy guy, like object, like a like a like typically like nerdy guy and typically like traditionally attractive woman. Um, yeah. They we saw them back in the episode reaction. I had to look this up again because I knew that they appeared, but I couldn't remember when they appeared in the episode reaction. There's a whole fight sequence where like two people get rescued and then Spidey webs them up together, and they're kind of face to face with each other. And Spidey's like, oh, trust me, you'll thank me later. And it's just kind of a joke. because It's like, oh, oh. The nerdy guy is webbed up with like a hot girl, and they actually seem to like not be mad about it. Apparently their relationship worked
1: out because he just proposed to her
0: and that's she so said, yes, funny.
1: No. I yeah. did not even did not even click for me. That's oh, that's so funny.
0: I yeah, I only knew it because other people have pointed it out. It's so clever. I love it.
1: I appreciate that then. Because I sort of like I, I got the joke, the the sort of, like, first layer joke of the, like, uh, it's not even romantic wedding proposal go, but I, like, did admittedly kind of roll my eyes at the fact that, like, there was also the sort of visual gag of, like, stereotypical nerdy guy who proposes to, like, hot girl. Sure. But now I appreciate it because it's actually just, like, a callback.
0: Yeah, a callback that kind of like turns the joke on its head too. Because yep. it's like, oh no, they're that was actually uh, they're meat cute and they're really like there's a whole other story that you didn't see of this relationship that started wildly, like yeah. actually working out.
1: <laughs> yeah. In a different reality, there's like an experimental episode from their perspective where action is happening around them.
0: Oh man, I would love to see that. It'd be great. Yeah.
1: <laughs> their honeymoon, perhaps. Mm, maybe, yeah. Actually, that would, be, that would be the perfect way to set it up, because you have, you have these two characters who are a constant through the episode going on a trip that takes Spider-Man and some sort of villain to, like, a, a sort of unconventional setting. hmm I think that'd be fun.
0: That would be fun. Yeah, I dig that.
1: Well, outside, while Silvermane is basically, like, bear-hugging Spider-Man... Spider-Man is able to identify the sound that Silvermane's suit makes as hydraulics. So he realizes, like, oh, he's not actually as strong as, as it seems. It's the hydraulics that are allowing him to do these things. So he ends up using this knowledge to disable Silvermane's suit entirely, and as a result, Silvermane entirely. So, like, Silvermane ends up being, like, just this guy in a suit that he can't actually move, which... I think, didn't we see that joke in uh, Phineas and Ferb? Wasn't Iron Man stuck in a suit? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's like kind of horrifying in this circumstance, but it was hilarious in Phineas and Ferb. That's funny. So uh, so Silvermane, uh, as a result of this, attempts to call for Sable, but again, she can't receive the call. Uh, so again, just another trying to call for backup and it not working. She, because it cuts to her, uh, she ends up asking Hammerhead how he blocked the signal. And he, I think, pretends to play coy because at first he's like, I, what? Blocked the signal? Oh, yeah. uh, Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) So we kind of like see, okay, you're not really in control of all these variables here. Yeah. And like, I guess after this just decides like, I'm out of (laughs) here. So he like starts to leave. Sable starts to call after him, and he just kind of, like, threatens her and walks out. He's basically I mean, like, you got nothing, lady. Like, uh, well, now that your dad's out of the picture, who are you? That's the thing I don't like about it, though, because she,
0: she, she pulls a gun on him, like a gun that she had strapped to, like, her leg. She literally pulls a gun on him, has the gun pointed pointed at him, could easily shoot him point blank, but is, like, shaking and, like, visibly scared and nervous as he, like, just walks out honor
1: which is like yeah i'm not sure what he did in this moment to warrant that response
0: that, that's the thing that i don't i don't get and i don't like and i don't know what they're trying to say because there's different ways you can read it right like one way he has the daddy comment and so maybe the thing they're trying to say is that like as badass as she seen that last time if if she doesn't have daddy daddy to protect her like she's nothing or whatever which i don't like and i don't think is true or
1: and i don't think it's clear enough
0: no, I don't think it's clear enough. There's also the fact that she she has dated Hammerhead before and they have this weird flirtation. And even though they'd like fought in a in, in in the her last appearance, like they never like nearly killed each other. So like killing her 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 ex would be a different type of scenario. So maybe she's just like couldn't bring herself to do that. They which could is, have like, added
1: a beat for that though. Because that's not clear either.
0: They could have. The other thing that like I probably am just gonna go with is that like She was just, like, knocked out with, like, a serum and presumably just woke up, so maybe she's just not thinking straight and is very tired. Like, that, honestly, Yeah, that's all I can go with. Because the other ways kind of, I feel like, sell out her character in a way that I don't like.
1: I think the other two, you could have pulled off okay, but they needed to clarify it further. I think the last one that you mentioned is the most likely, and they could have... They could have sold that harder, and then I yeah. wouldn't have even questioned it
0: that's that's really the reason that I feel like they did when I said that they did her dirty less because they knocked her out initially and more because once she wakes up like this is what she does and I'm like I could see this if if her character as the daughter of a mob boss this whole time was just sort of like putting on a face because she always had her dad's protection and stuff and she wasn't actually as badass as she presented herself, except we saw a whole episode where she was extremely badass and hitting people with staple guns and firing missiles and doing wild flips and stuff. So like, eh, it doesn't really, it doesn't really line up to me. And I, I don't really, I don't really get what they're trying to do with that.
1: It's funny. Cause they could, I mean, they could have done that, but they just didn't like, I can, I can identify moments in the past two episodes where they could have planted little comments by hammerhead that would have informed that explanation. Like, I think it could be a legitimate explanation. Wouldn't be my favorite necessarily, yeah. but they could have done that. All the things you're saying they could have done. It's just that they didn't do any of them very clearly.
0: Yeah. Maybe so, she, th- maybe, she, maybe she also thinks that her dad died because she has been able to get through to him and hammerhead kind of subtly suggests that, that he's not around or whatever. So maybe, maybe she's getting emotional because she thought he died. But even then I feel like the silver sable we met last time, would that would make her angry
1: and that would definitely make her shoot hammerhead so i don't know i think i think the best solution would be for her to have been visibly stumbling tried to sort of like lunge at him and have him very easily kind of like toss her off and comment on how she's not at 100% yeah just make yeah. it make it that you know it, yeah. he already he already did that you know it doesn't need to be a second whole second thing Play it out. There you go.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they wanted the cool shot of her pulling out a gun from the slit in she her. She still could have done that. Gun, it could have but... been cool. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, he walks away menacingly, like he's the shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Love Hammerhead in the moment. Just uh, yeah. Sable's just the one misstep, but that's all right. It's like minor missteps in like such a such an impossibly good episode.
1: Otherwise, so. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so back at the plaza, <laughs> Doc Ock is disassembling Holy or t- attempting attempting to disassemble Silvermane's armor, you know, with like saws on his tentacles. Like <laughs> Rose a hundred
1: percent about to cut this dude's arms off. Yep. <laughs> based on the <laughs> yeah. way he's talking, based on how he describes what he's doing, specifically citing the law of the jungle, I have every reason to think he was about to just like totally cut this dude apart.
0: Damn, man. Damn, vicious. Dreamy. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I'm a gonna... fucked up dude. Yeah. Hey, you know, I get oh, it. Doc Ock,
1: you <laughs> fucking weirdo. <laughs>
0: uh, hot weirdo. So, <laughs> Spidey, uh, Spidey does like not want to get this Silvermane's arms sawed off, so he draws his attention away, and then you know, Spidey and Doc Ock exchange some blows. It ends up like resulting in the ground below Ock collapsing, so that actually gets like both of them, along with Tombstone, dropped into a tunnel below. So this is where like kind of the final fight sequence is going to happen because uh, it's 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 kind of funny because like after all of this, Spidey pretty quickly takes out Doc Ock once they're down in the tunnel.
1: I think it works though because I think. Doc Ock has a little bit of the Jameson thing where when Spider-Man is concerned, he rages out a little bit. Like as calculated as he is, the fact that they end up underground is like kind of his fault in the first place. True. So yeah. it ends up being like a little bit big-headed and ragey, and I think that results in him like losing footing, sort of like falling kind of out of out of place. I think he ends up being distracted by the fact that Tombstone is knocked out too. And I think all those factors kind of play into Spider-Man being able to take advantage of Doc Ock in like, I guess, uncharacteristically, but very compelling out of character moment for Doc Ock.
0: Yeah, and Ock really operates best when like he has control of the situation and this and the yeah. whole thing about the situation is that nobody has control and being being underground in that kind of claustrophobic setting is like the worst place for a doc Ock to be so
1: yep yeah
0: so it does it does <laughs> really check
1: thriving out, in those big open spaces
0: <laughs> uh yeah yeah so yeah no you're right you're right it does check out um, and I wasn't, it wasn't like a thing that I was upset about when I was watching or anything. It's just kind of funny after all that.
1: No, but it is quick. Like, it's sort of like, oh, okay. You're just going to bop him on the tummy. And like, that's it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I do like that. They call back to that. I, I had mm-hmm. honestly kind of forgotten about that particular detail Or I was like, oh, that's right. He has like a power cell, like right there on his gut.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's, it's good because that's a thing they could have settled on that being like an easy like just always like the the kind of deus ex machina thing like his his one weakness is getting the battery out but like they really haven't focused on that because spidey's never been able to get close enough to him to take it out until now so like they've been able to find other ways for spidey to defeat him or, or whatever so yeah i like that they kind of held that held that card until it was appropriate to use it again
1: totally so now that Doc Ock is disabled and depowered, because he takes that power cell out, Spider-Man ends up webbing him up, which fully disables him, because Doc Ock really, not a strong, powerful dude without his <laughs> without his yeah. tentacles, just as, like, literally dragging Doc Ock away. It's presumably, I guess, to bring him above ground to the police. Um, but Tombstone ends up having woken up and interrupts them and really, like... Tombstone and Spider Man just kind of like beat the shit out of each other. This is the moment that you had alluded to earlier where the fight ends up being all opera soundtrack, no dialogue, where they're just fighting over music. And it's very cool. It's very brutal. I think it actually softens a bit how much they're actually beating the crap out of each other because Tombstone, Tombstone's brutal. And Spider Man knows that. Tombstone even says, like, remember the last time we fought? And Spider Man even says, like, yep. Painfully, like, knows he's in for a beating. Yeah, it's
0: great. And I think
1: it's really artful that they decide to put that particular fight against purely a musical soundtrack.
0: (laughs) It is. Well, it also, I think it kind of heightens, it, it highlights the importance of the fight that these two are having because really like tombstone's been the big bad from the start of the show. Like he's phased in and out of his importance to the storylines, but like Spidey has a very particular, a very particular vendetta against him that he doesn't really have against any other villains. True. It's a very specific one. So like to finally have these two kind of going head to head in a fight that does ultimately like land the biggest defeat on tombstone that Spidey has ever gotten up until this point on the show. I think it just really, really clarifies how like having this be the dramatic fight set to opera music, like it makes it a very unforgettable fight. And I think that that's really, Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that makes total sense. Spider Man does end up pulling this off, and he does so by, uh, gosh, smashing Tombstone in the face with some sort of like piece of like large, bulky metal equipment he pulls off the wall. And he kind (laughs) of does this like right as Tombstone is preparing to smash like a piece of rubble over Spidey. So it's like a very just in time thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but it does work. It knocks Tombstone out, and the opera concludes inside with no one in the audience being the wiser. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think Joan even turns to the empty seat and is like, oh, where'd he go? <laughs>
0: <sighs> yeah, it's great. It's great. Fabulous. Um, back outside, Silvermane, Tombstone, and Doc Ock are all app- apprehended by the police with Spidey's assistance. Spidey exposes L. Thompson Lincoln on, like, on no uncertain terms as the big man, also known as Tombstone. So upon this announcement, Jonah is like, hold, hold up, hold up. Uh... You need to arrest Spider-Man on assault charges. And as he's saying this, Foswell runs up, whispers in his ear, and Jonah just says, never mind. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jonah really foiled left and right these past few episodes, huh?
0: Yeah, really, really, uh, really has been. Almost feel bad for him. He shows
1: back up and uh, can't really pull anything off.
0: Almost said, almost feels bad for him, but nope, actually, no, it's, fine. it's all, it's, <laughs> yeah, all, right? it's all well, de- it's all well deserved.
1: <laughs> Any other circumstances, you'd be like, man, wish you could get a win.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, I feel bad for the situation with his son, I guess, but that's about it. <laughs> sure,
1: that's very different.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's also, I mean, I feel bad for him, but that's also very much his fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely in part his fault for sure.
1: So, as Tombstone specifically is being taken away, he ends up passing Hammerhead, who's just like in the crowd on looking, and tells Hammerhead that he's fired uh, and that he'll receive his severance package, which I'm sure means he's sending somebody after Hammerhead. Which, yikes. Can't, I cannot wait to see, hopefully, anything <laughs> at all about what happens to Hammerhead. Not hopeful necessarily, but I would just like to see whatever happens next with him. Yeah, totally. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him the rest of this season and that he was being held for something in the future, but I would, I would like to know. So hopefully yeah. that's addressed or is laid out in, in the future plans that I know are floating out there somewhere. Sure. Nearby Captain Stacy ends up thanking Spider-Man and says, you know, I'm not sure that this is what you had planned for Valentine's day, which is like, again, one of those things that Captain Stacy says that you're like, huh? He was with your daughter. peter was and if you know then you're aware that he would have left so just another one of those things to make you think um but ultimately this jogs peter's memory and he's like oh that's right valentine's day and he rushes to liz's apartment he wants to apologize rings the doorbell mark actually answers and won't let Peter talk to Liz. And Peter's like, what the heck, man? Like, I want to apologize. I'm so sorry. I didn't want to leave, but it was for the bugle. Like, it's a it's a job. I need to do that. And Mark, like, cuts him off and is like, it's not about the job. And Peter's like, well, then what in the world is it? Mark says two words, Gwen, Stacy. And basically says, like, Liz saw the way that you treated Gwen. And she's not going to be your second choice. She's better than that. She deserves more than you. Damn.
0: I... Love that they bring back the second choice thing, but like that was a thing that Gwen was feeling so insecure about and told Peter straight up, I'm not going to be your second choice. And now Peter gets what his supposed first choice was and it gets lost because now she became his second choice because he can't make up his fucking mind. (laughs) Exactly.
1: That's exactly it. When you can't make up your mind, no one is your first choice. Mm -hmm. Everybody ends up feeling like they are on the back burner. That's the result of not being able to make a choice. So, like, he's getting exactly what he sort of, like, set up. Yep. And uh, it sucks. But, dude, how many chances did this this perfect girlfriend give you? (laughs) Right? Like, my God. And I actually, I like... There's something sweet about the fact that Mark is the one that delivers this message like i really I kind like of that like that Peter isn't even allowed to face Liz in this moment. um there's something that I think feels at least in the moment like justice served a little bit, yeah, like the point is is a little bit stronger that he can't even like she she won't even talk to him or Mark won't even allow it like I think there's something yeah. there's something really strong about that.
0: And it's such a good, like, big brother thing to
1: do. Totally. Totally. Which is yeah. great, especially since earlier in the episode we saw, you know, that interaction she witnessed with Blackie where she was like, ugh, Mark. You know? Yeah. They're still good siblings, um, and they still obviously care a lot about each other. Right. So I like that, that that sort of carries through to the end of the episode as well. Yep.
0: Yep. I like that a lot. Tragic, but so well done. I, I, I hate yep. it, but I love it. <laughs> I love it, but I hate it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, We cut to the next day. Spidey's upset, but not about what just happened. He's, he's upset because Tombstone made bail. So he visits Captain Stacy to complain about this. But Captain Stacy is really chill about it. He's like, okay, you know, he's not in prison. But the thing is, Tombstone is hardly free now because his identity as a crime lord is known. So I think he says there's like 16 government agencies that have him under surveillance yep. now. Um, nope. So his criminal, criminal empire totally crippled. He cannot do what he what he used to do by any means. That said, Stacy does explain that there is a real problem. Uh, so he says, "Here's the real problem: you've created a power vacuum in the criminal universe, and nature abhors a vacuum."
1: I really like both Josh Keaton and Clancy Brown in this. I think yeah. both of them deliver like all of their lines and interaction in this really, really well. Spider-Man is very emotional when he shows up, is sort of like calmed down by what, you know, Captain Stacy delivers. But then Clancy Brown's delivery of this line at the end, I think is like carries a lot of gravity. And I think the two of them are just like really spectacular in this moment. They're really good.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's, it's such a good moment. Fully agree. So this leads us right into Tombstone's office, where Tombstone returns to find someone sitting at his desk. He's like, oh, okay. So I realize that Hammerhead's initiative was not strong enough to organize the whole clusterfuck that just happened. <laughs> and he credits it all to the person sitting in his chair, and it is the Green Goblin.
1: Yes.
0: Did which you I'm... see that coming at all?
1: <laughs> no, one hundred percent didn't see that coming. I don't think I. I don't think I was supposed to see that coming. I don't no, think there were. I don't not. think there were clues. I don't think there were breadcrumbs. I mean, you had Harry. Harry
0: with the green in the last episode is literally the only thing that might have pointed to the Green Goblin being a factor in anything, but n- nothing in this episode.
1: Yeah, I think it points to an eventual return to a Green Goblin story. I don't think it, I don't think it directly connected to anything in this episode. So I yeah. was fully like, what? Yeah. And I'm going to choose to believe okay. that that is Harry- because <laughs> I think I'm supposed to, and that's the logical thing to do, and I'm not going to let this show fuck with my brain again. That is Harry, <laughs> and if it's not Harry, I will be surprised, and I will be there for the ride if it is not Harry, but it is Harry.
0: Cool. Okay. It's a good attitude to have, I guess. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> Can you tell I'm very convinced? I just uh, – I just, I don't know why the show does this to me. What it is about the show – that makes me just completely unable to trust anything to do with the goblin. <laughs> it's because yeah. they never show anything directly. Like, yeah. they yeah. show Harry looking at the green goblin, uh, the globulin green. Yeah. They, show, they show a him shadow, like- but they don't show him take it. They don't show him make a choice. They don't show him then suit up. They just then cut a whole episode later to the green goblin just being there. But yeah. what they also did. Is they once again, as they're reintroducing this, show Norman playing with masks, talking about masks and the sort of (laughs) mystical situation where the wearer of the mask takes on the personality of the mask. And so they're doing exactly, like, literally the same thing they did last season. And I know the result of it last season, which probably makes me feel like the answer can't be C twice in a row, Mm -hmm. when it very well could be. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, these people, I love these I l- people
0: love seeing your misery on play. So
1: <laughs> it's Harry.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, it, it must this, be
0: <laughs> to, to pivot from that a little bit. I do think I'm just thinking back. This is just the thought that I had while, while doing this, this episode, like now that green goblin has appeared again, like in person, mm-hmm. I think that every single character, Like who appeared in the first season, has appeared this season at this point. Like everybody has come back. Like I don't think there's any character that just like hasn't shown up since since the first season.
1: Which yeah, Shocker and the Enforcers would have been the ones I wasn't expecting, mm -hmm. and they showed up. Which is why, like at
0: least like in terms of like speaking named roles, which I don't I don't even think like they're background characters that like don't get recycled to be honest. But like I don't I think that. Yeah, I think that everybody's been brought back for at least a minor appearance by this point, which there's still three episodes left, too. So it's wild that not even the rest of the season, like not it didn't even take the whole season for every single character to come back, which I only think is is impressive because the cast is so sprawling. And it's not like there haven't been new characters introduced this season to and the new characters that have been introduced have like been given stuff to do. So like it's just mind boggling to me that they've been able to juggle so much, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Cause Craven was introduced this season. Cause at first I was like, Oh, Craven only appeared in one season, but no, he appeared in this season.
0: Yeah. And even the new characters have all appeared. Like I think in more than one episode, I don't think there's any new characters that were introduced that only appeared once. So like, yeah, that's wild. wild. That, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I
1: mean, I guess part of it is because the cast is so sprawling, But it's still the fact that everyone, the fact that every single one of them has reappeared is, I think, the thing that's impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Damn. Wow. Look at y'all, writers. It's like you're good at this or something. Right?
0: Right? (laughs) (laughs) There really weren't a lot of, like, faces in this episode that were, like, funny or anything because it's all really good. I just picked the frame that's, like, sad, but when it's out of context, it actually is just, like – looks kind of joyous because it's like Liz having a kissy face and Gwen being happy behind her. And it's <laughs> just looks like they're both just like into the same person. And obviously that's not what's happening in the scene at right. all. So what's happening in the scene is really sad and bad. Yeah. Um, but like out of context, it's just like, aw.
1: yeah. Happy. Oh man. These <laughs> two women, neither one of them should spend any time on Peter. I know, I know. Neither one of them.
0: They need to just kiss each other at this
1: point. I guess.
0: Nah, I know. I they... mean,
1: I think I still think Gwen and MJ would be a cool, cool combo. I think uh I'm trying to think who would be good. I don't know if we've seen somebody who would be like quite a good match for Liz that we've yeah. met.
0: Yeah, nobody in like the in the normal high school friend group I think would be good for her, at least that we right. know of them. Um
1: at least based on what we know about her and what how they've sort of I mean, weirdly enough, and this is a weird thing to say, based solely on the fact that she was so into the weirdness that is Peter, mm-hmm. I feel like Kenny is like the closest to having that energy. But I wouldn't I wouldn't wish Kenny on anyone until he like grows up a little bit. Yeah,
0: actually, you know, I could also see her, like, with Harry, if only because he also has sort of, like, the weird enigmatic energy that Peter does, but unlike Gwen, Liz would, like, shut down his bullshit if he tried to do, if he tried to, like, you know, ignore her or whatever, or not really, be like, she and she would also, like, fight back and not be affected by his his whole like d- all his daddy issues and everything so I like think
1: that's true i just don't know if he would then respond well to that so i don't know how long yeah, that lasts
0: that's true that's true
1: but i I, true. I i totally get where that would start yeah I just don't know if it would end well yeah yeah i don't know i mean like we've said mj with nearly everybody <laughs> yeah yeah i don't know liz we'll find someone for you we'll find someone for you
0: <laughs> yeah yeah Man, what a good episode.
1: Really good episode. I think really good arc. I thought it was really, really fun. I don't think it's necessarily the most cerebral thing they've done, but I don't think every single arc they do, especially given their plans for more seasons beyond this, every single arc needed to be like an academic thesis. You know what I mean? This has like a strong, strong purpose plot. I think the, the stories that are in it are woven together really, really well. I think the only real solid low point of the whole arc is just the enforcers fight, but I don't even think the enforcers were necessarily a problem. I just think that fight probably wasn't as inspired by the circumstances and context as the other two fights we saw in the the episode before and after, but we've already talked about that. Yeah. I think there's really, there's really not that much about this arc that I don't like. And part of that, I think is just the gang war aspect of it. I think I'm realizing that's something I really, really enjoy in these superhero shows when it's done really, really well. Mm -hmm. And I just think uh, this does it really, really well.
0: Yeah. They definitely handled this one wonderfully. Hell yeah. You know, else is also, also handled wonderfully. What's that? Our Patreon, which wow. you can visit at patreon.com slash All kinds of great
1: stuff. Gee whiz. Stuff. I know.
0: <laughs> gee, golly gee willikers. It's
1: great. <laughs> well, in addition to that, you could also find us individually doing stuff on the internet for your enjoyment. Derek, where can people find the things you're doing?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Gale, and you can find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. What about you, Doug?
1: You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find me on another podcast here on the 4Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books, video games, and other pop culture-y type things, you can find me talking all those things on a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Katie, Vicky, and I talk about everything we've been reading, playing, watching, and thinking about. If you would like more from Derek and me specifically, you can check out our monthly podcast, Falling with Style, which is an ongoing Pixar movie marathon. We watch every Pixar movie chronologically our latest episode on a bug's life is out now and it is available wherever you get your podcasts you can find more walloping websnappers stuff on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com you can also find more stuff from us on twitter instagram and facebook at wallopingwebpod you can email us at wallopingwebsnappers.com Podcast at gmail.com for whatever reason you would like. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts because that's where most people listen to podcasts and it helps people find what we're doing. If you like what we are doing, other people will too. Next week, we embark on the final arc of the spectacular Spider Man in the episode entitled Subtext.
0: Tried to keep that as vague as possible. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome.
1: <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm sure at some point we'll hear the lovely, like, like haunted house noise of like radiators, like hammering or whatever.
0: Tombstarn. Tombstarn. Wow. Tombstarn. Tombstarn. Tombstarn is ready. Um.